All right. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops. I'm your host. And today I have a very special guest, another another local St. Pete area author, uh, Elise Kovo. Welcome to the show, Elise. Hi, and thank you for having me. And hopefully all the tech works and doesn't make us regret that one of us didn't just drive over to the other side <laughs> to make this happen. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, the internet gremlins sometimes fight fight us, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best. Um, at least it's it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Uh, I think we met a few years ago. I want to say at Mark Dawson's meetup at uh, yeah, out at the beach. Yeah, it was. At, yep. at SPF meetup, and it's been you know it's always fun meeting another local author. But then I was able to go to one of your uh, book signings, which was really fun. I actually have your your copy of uh, Alchemist of Loom right here in front of me. My dark um, baby. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to talk uh, about what it is you write. For people who aren't familiar with you, uh, could you tell people a little bit about yourself and your in your um, in your your series? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, goodness. Well, I, I think the easiest way to describe what I write is I write books that have magic and romance. Okay. Now, the doses of each of those things and the form that those take varies wildly between each of my three different worlds that I write in. So the Loom Saga, which you mentioned, starts with the Alchemist of Loom, and that's a really dark, gritty fantasy world with where an infamous thief teams up with the Dragon Prince and a trigger-happy gun mage to assassinate a king. Um, and so got a lot of darkness in that one. Uh, then I, I've played on the other side of the spectrum of paranormal romance with a hacker who's reborn as a witch in a near future alternate reality and falls in love with a forgotten god. So there's yeah. there's that. Um, and then uh, I have my, my Air Awakens world, which is sort of your most traditional kind of epic fantasy, young adult, sword and sorcery. Uh, elemental magic and and if if I dare say so I I think it's like probably my most feel good series okay. <laughs> overall right. I mean it'll still destroy you on the journey <laughs> <laughs> just, there's a lot of emotional uh, you know pitfalls along the way I take it yeah yeah emotional pitfall pit, pitfalls I also uh, I'm I'm an author who doesn't believe in plot armor okay. so if characters are in life or death situations I I hope the reader feels that life or death is yeah. up in the air. Yeah, yeah, the George R. R. Martin, you know, scenario where no one is safe ever. I'm not. I'm not that <laughs> bad. Not quite as brutal um, with your heroes, but um, that's always good. It's it's great tension. You know, we love we love tension yeah. in stories, and it sounds like you've got plenty of that. Um, so you've got an interesting thing going on right now, where you are launching a new a set of books in an existing world. You've got. Can you tell people a little bit about Vortex Visions and. Um, what this series is about and how it kind of yeah. started. So I brought props if oh, for awesome. those of you watching, and <laughs> um, if you are if you are just listening, the shuffling was me holding up a book. Uh, um, but Vortex Visions take pla- takes place in the Air Awakens world. It's actually the ninth book I've written in this world. So there, there's the original series, which is Air Awakens, and that's finished at five books. And that tells the story of Vala, a library apprentice who discovers she has a re- elemental magic and gets wrapped into the Empire Empire's War. Battle, bloodshed, betrayal, a couple of hot brooding princes. It's kind of like, like Avatar The Last Airbender meets Throne of Glass. Okay. Then you have the Golden Guard trilogy, which are prequels set in this world, and those are kind of standalone action-adventure. Think like, the hang. it sort of starts with like the hangover meets uh, pirate, a uh, hunt for pirate treasure and murder. Oh, um, 
And then this newest series is set 18 years after the end of the first series, and it follows Vala's daughter. And it follows her adventures as she discovers that she, too, has a very unique magic for the region of the world she's in, and um, having it could potentially cost her the throne. But there are bigger things to worry about since the world is headed toward Armageddon, basically. Yeah, I loved reading the description of this. You had some great tension where it's like, okay, well, do you you choose your throne or do you choose saving the world like, i mean there's a lot of like you know your parents versus you know the everyone else like so it's kind of like it's uh yeah. great tension just in your blurb so uh i definitely recommend people check out the, the description your description of it is awesome i, I think you're, you do a wonderful job of describing what it is you write thank you and and i will i will say this too for anyone who that sounds daunting to with regards to how many books there are in the air awakens world you can start with any book one so you could start with the crown's dog which is the first book chronologically in the universe you can start with air awakens which was the first book i released in this universe or you can start with vortex vision and each of them are meant to be a digestible and enjoyable regardless of how much or how little of air awakens you read before that yeah well, did you do this primarily from like a craft standpoint of just wanting a clean slate to start from as a writer, or was it also kind of a marketing decision where you're like, well, I want more in inlets for this uh, world that that you want write, readers to find their way into? Um, a little bit, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I can't deny that it's it's nice to have different points of entry yeah. uh, into the same world, and and hopefully if someone picks up one and they like it, they'll pick up the others. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely been a factor. But I I always intended Air Awakens to have this sort of part two or act two, as I kind of have always thought of. Yeah. It. it was always something that I had in my head, and there's foreshadowing that I laid the groundwork for in the original Air Awakens that I get to play with now in Vortex. And so it was always intended as part of this greater universe and story. Um, and and so I, the craft aspect of it was there alongside the, well, this also works from a business marketing perspective, yeah. so I can't, I can't lose. Yeah, win-win <laughs> scenario there. And um, one of the things that I've been impressed by just from, from some of the writing that I've read of yours is your ability to build worlds. Like you have really well thought out worlds. I mean, I'm mostly just familiar with the Alchemist Saloon um, story, but um, it seems like you put a ton of work into your world building and um, it, it definitely shows. So what is it like t- t- like trying to expand an existing universe. And do you have any advice for people when it comes to world building and make, cause you've obviously got a lot of, you know, really you know, loving fans who love this, this world. What may, what is it about this world in particular that you think resonates with readers? I, when I started writing air awakens, I wanted to write something in, in my head. I was sort of calling it fantasy light. And I don't mean that in a way that is demeaning or anything. Mm-hmm. just more of a, I wanted a book that people who may not read fantasy could pick up. And I, I grew up reading fantasy. I grew up with, with Tolkien and McAfee, McAfee mm-hmm. and, um, Robin Hobb. And, and I grew up with all of these, you know, big juggernauts of fantasy where, uh, Robert Jordan, where, where you read a book and you're one book in and, oh, by the way, there's 15 books in this series and yeah. about a million more words to read. And, yeah you're not even scratching the surface. And so that takes a certain kind of readership. And I didn't want to go that route with Air Awakens. And I, I, it, it always feels weird talking about yourself, but if, but if I can hang my hat on something, I think maybe part of what resonates is that I, I might've struck that nice balance of, especially with the first series. And, and I'm trying to now with Vortex where it's, 
it's familiar enough. There are familiar enough elements that if you know the fantasy tropes at all, you'll go into it and think, oh, okay, I, I kind of, I kind of know this. I can pick it up. But at the same time, there's a depth to it that will keep readers engaged and, and interested. And I, I love, I, you're, you're completely right. I love world building. It's one of mm. my favorite things. Yeah. Like I said, it definitely shows and, and um, you know, it seems like you have a, a really good, solid understanding. Obviously, it comes from obviously growing up with a lot of classics that you've been reading, um, and it, you know, definitely, it seems like you put a lot of your loves in this story. Just like with the different guilds, for example, in the Alchemist Saloon, and like I've seen some of your your fun swag that you've got going on on your website, and like how people can like kind of join different things. And like it seems like you um, have a lot of your your loves deliberately put in. What are some of the things that people can kind of expect to find in your stories when it comes to like your particular things that you love that you make sure to put in these stories. Yeah, I one of the big things that I like to play with is I like to play with the notion of truth. And okay. what I sort of mean by that is everyone exists in their own truth. And mm. everyone is aware of the world as they see it, but you can never be aware of how another person sees it. And that's something that I really got to explore in the Loom Saga because I wrote from different points of view. So I could have a point of view character where I got to take an incident and I could have one character look at it and say, this is objectively objectively horrible and this mm -hmm. is an awful incident and this is you know the worst thing that could happen. And another character could look at it and say, this is objectively wonderful. And neither of them are wrong. It's just the point of view that they're coming mm -hmm. from. So... Yeah. I like I like playing with that, and that's one thing that I am getting to play with in Vortex Visions because the Air Awakens, as you mentioned, the universe is expanding dramatically, and so I, I played with it in that series in the sense of the first series takes place on a on a single continent, and the the stakes are very high, but they're very high for the people on that continent, and that's not the whole world, mm, yeah. and I kind of liken it to. Um, you know, if a if a nation is undergoing a civil war, that is dramatic and terrifying and and really impactful to the people of that nation. But another mm. nation across the world, maybe they'll hear about it, but the popul right. the general populace isn't really affected by it. And so that's yeah. something that I'm getting to play with where there's these people who kind of thought that they were the center of the world and kind of freezing up just a little bit here, so um, I guess we might have lost you there. Oh, I have a couple little little glitches here with the connection we've been we've been battling, but uh, hopefully this will the connection will improve and we'll get uh, Elise back here in just a second. Apologies to the uh, to the listeners slash viewers, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll you know see what see what happens here in a couple minutes before we uh, worst case scenario we can try to. Try to reconnect and uh, see if we can get her back. And it doesn't seem like it's working, so let me go ahead and just call Elise back and we'll make it work that way. And uh, see if we can improve on this audio situation. We knew there was a little bit of uh, trouble. We had a little bit of trouble uh, prior to the interview, so... Uh, we knew that this was a potential possibility that we might lose her, but uh, we'll see what happens. Hey! Hey! I have no idea what my Skype did. It was just <laughs> working, and then it went not working anymore. Yeah, it seems like we had a little bit of a connection issue, but I'm glad we can get you right back, so that was good. Yeah, uh, I, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and if it keeps 
keeps acting up, I may just kill my camera. I've, I've verified that I have a face, and that may help with the connection. <laughs> yeah, we've seen you. We know you exist. Yeah, that, that's, that's a possibility. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, so I, like I said, I, I think your worlds are, are very, very cool. Like the way you know you you built them and and sort of also portrayed them. I want to talk about just for a second. Your your cover designs are gorgeous. All of them. Um, and I want to talk about kind of the idea of you have these amazing custom illustrated covers. And I think that's kind of something that I definitely associate with your work. Um, and is this something that you, well, first off, who's doing your current designs? So my current designs are done by a woman named uh, Livia Prima. Okay. And um, you can find her. I think her handle, her most common handle is Livia Prime. But she's done, she's done a bunch of work for a bunch of games and um I think she's done work for Wizards of the Coast as well. So so you've probably seen her work if you've kind of gone around fantasy illustrations on the web. Okay. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, really well done stuff. And obviously it lends itself. Well, I mentioned that you've got some fun swag on your website and things like that. And I know you've kind of kind of branded out into this sort of other merch and stuff. And it obviously lends itself well to that. Is that something that you deliberately go in planning for? Like, hey, I want to have a really beautiful piece of custom art because I plan to repurpose it? That that wasn't my original motivator. It's very nice, as as you mentioned. It is yeah. kind of fun now that I'm I'm farther along in the process, and I can put it on a t shirt, and that's mm-hmm. cool to have. Yeah. Um. But really, my original motivation for it came from again, as I mentioned, I grew up with these classic fantasies, and one of the things that I always loved about fantasy was these gorgeous illustrated covers. Back mm-hmm. then, it was like usually more like oil painting style and whatnot, yeah. but. I just, that to me, when I saw a book with an illustrated cover, it said fantasy. And I know that trends and times have changed, and hopefully my covers have updated with the trends and time, but yeah. when I first started publishing, that was something I really wanted, because that to me was what fantasy was. Yeah. And I think there's definitely always going to be something to that. It, it speaks to the genre, which is obviously very important. Uh, it fits, you know, you're, you're in a genre where that obviously, you know, resonates. And then also it just draws you anyway with these beautiful images. Like you want to click on it. You want to see it bigger. So I'm sure if people are seeing this in an ad that they, you know, you're getting a lot more clicks of people just wanting to see the beautiful art. So um, it's got to be got to be working on that level, I think. Um, oh, my goodness. This is, this is my fault. I always, uh, I always forget to turn off my darn... I usually put it in airplane mode. That's, that's, that takes me right back to my very first ever uh, Facebook Live episode where someone called and interrupted right in the middle of it, and it, it ruined everything. Hopefully that won't be the case this time. But uh, I apologize. I'm the one cutting out, so we'll call it even. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the glitches are, are, are bountiful today. Um, but in any case, so um, you have another book coming out shortly. I know Chosen Champion is um, launching in, in May. Is that correct? Yes, May 1st. Chosen, Champ- Chosen Champion Book 2 of Vortex Chronicles will be out. Yeah, which is a pretty quick turnaround because I know Vortex Divisions only came out in February. Um, yes. What is uh, what does a launch look like for you? What are some things you do when it comes to launching books? Um, so it, it really depends on if it's a book one of a series or later books in a series. Uh, for later books in a series, as Chosen Champion is, a launch for me is a lot calmer and easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've pretty much just started to get out of the throes of releasing Vortex Visions because a, a first book 
there's a lot that I kind of do into that. I start arranging uh, promotional swaps with fellow author friends months in advance. So that way I can promo their books so they can, I can be on their calendar for them to promo my release when it comes out. Yeah. I start doing that months in advance. I start testing different advertising as best I'm able uh, to try to get know what pay-per-click ads, copy and whatnot works the best. Mm-hmm. Um, there's of course all of the technical aspect of, formatting the book, getting the cover ready, getting all the editing done. Um, so there's there's that element too. And then it's just working with my street team, working with early reviewers and getting as many other promotions as I am able to, humanly able to get organized. Mm-hmm. And, and a first book sort of has all of that. And then subsequent books in the series are really just tapping my newsletter, tapping my street team again, uh, trying to find a, a way to boost the first book because my books are not standalones. You won't understand what's going on in book two unless you've read book one. And so I always view every subsequent book in a series as an opportunity to try to get new readers to book one. Okay. But they're they're much calmer for me, which I'm like, yeah. yes. That's good. I know, so I know you mentioned you were uh, deep in the editing right now. Um, and uh, I guess it's, I'm sure it's a relief to not have to deal with quite as much of that prior to May. That's coming, coming yes. soon. Yes. Um, what are some of the things that are, are working for you right now when it comes to like marketing in, in 2019 that you've found are helping you draw new readers to your book ones? Do you have a particular marketing favorite right now? Oh, and it looks like we lost her again. That's not good. All right. This is a, uh, we'll do a quick reconnect and see if that, see if that helps. Okay, I just answered with audience <laughs> time. <laughs> All right. It's, it just completely shuts down. I have yeah. no idea why it's doing this. Well, we'll see. yeah, hopefully this 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 uh, helps things out. I do have a uh, a fun picture of you. I have a good picture of you. I'll put that up and that'll oh, okay. solve some of our <laughs> some of our challenges visually here. So Um, but yeah, so could you maybe talk a little bit about your your marketing process, your ongoing marketing process? Yeah, so marketing in 2019 right now, what I what I find is working and what isn't, you know, it's one of those things that I do see a lot of authors espouse Facebook ads are dead or Amazon ads are dead or Twitter is dead or mm-hmm. whatever. Things are always dying <laughs> in the marketing <laughs> It's very world. dramatic. Very, very dramatic. And I, I think that to me, the key is to have a way to measure success mm-hmm. and measure the conversions of sales as best that you can and focus your attention into one or two areas. Because I, I think without knowing exactly what these authors are doing, but what I, I suspect could be happening is people will go onto Twitter, put out a few tweets and go, well, Twitter didn't work for me because right. the rank didn't go up. Yeah. And and obviously it takes more time than that to build a natural audience. And even to build a, a functioning pay-per-click ad system takes a lot more time than that. So I, I really like personally, I do like Amazon ads because I think they offer the most transparency into if I spend X dollars, I make Y dollars. Yeah. And any time that I can get as close as possible to the actual ROI. I, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, Facebook ads, I also 
see move the needle quite well, but I think those are a lot harder to measure. And that to me is almost like the level two. Like if an author is just starting out, I kind of recommend sticking with AMS ads mm -hmm. as much as you're able to start getting the feel for what ad copy performs, what authors targeting performs and just how to monitor pay-per-click ads and then go to Facebook. Cause Facebook is really good at taking your money yeah. and just throwing it into the void. Yeah, I agree. And I've, I've had that experience with BookBub as well. I know uh, we recently had David Goggin on talking about BookBub ads and I'm still crossing my fingers. I'll eventually get that to work. But uh, for me, that's a, that's a money pit too right now. But um, I'm glad to hear that you've, you found some things that are, that are working for you. Um, you have a, a gorgeous website as well. I definitely encourage people to go check out your website. I think you do a really good job of branding. Well, thank you. Um, it's elisecova.com. Uh, if people want to check it out, if you're listening to the audio, it's E-L-I-S-E-K-O-V-A. Um, so definitely, definitely check that out. Um, I understand you've had an interesting story when it comes to the way that you publish. Like you've, you've been indie. You've also had a traditional route. And then um, I understand that you're kind of focused on indie again now. What's, what does the future look like for you when it comes to your method of publishing? So I'm, I have, my background is in business. I have an MBA. And when I was in business school, they drilled it into me to diversify as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Risk is mitigated the more you are diversified. So my, one of my stances is to say, I, I would never rule it, rule out a publishing avenue as long as it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And for me, I actually have a manuscript with my agent right right now that's on submission, and we'll see what happens with it if if there's an offer that's compelling for me to take or not. Um, and and it is nice having the indie background to be able to say, "Hey, I I don't need you publisher to pick up my book." Not to mm -hmm. sound super arrogant or or super annoying, but more of a it, there is a position of power and bargaining that yeah. that comes with being able to say that and that is a nice place to be that I certainly wasn't at the start of my career so I I like the idea of traditional publishing in the sense of it's a guaranteed advance it's a guaranteed income for x number of years depending on the size of the advance right. and that's really appealing to me because there is that fear that with indie publishing if your book stops selling it's it's gone tomorrow. Yeah. And and so I, I like it from that perspective. Um, but so far, the vast majority of my work, um, three, or sorry, 16, or 15 out of 18 books published, Counting Chosen Champion, are going to be indie, mm -hmm. or are indie. So the vast majority of my work is independently published. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like, what are some of the things, like, when you talk about a compelling offer, um, for people who are kind of wondering what that would look like, uh, what would you consider to be, you know, something that would actually tempt you to, to go back to the traditional route? Oh, goodness. That's, that's a, a hard answer just because it really depends on the deal being offered. And mm -hmm. there's so many layers to traditional publishing deal. Are, are, is the publisher getting, worldwide rights including translations because some publishers will, will go for that or are they just getting u.s english or north america uk english mm -hmm. is the publisher getting audio rights dramatic rights um tv merchandise etc 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 um how how much how much are they getting is is a big question and then there's there's the other layers of looking at i now have the data of how my series perform 
on the indie side. And so the the traditional sort of rule of thumb from what I've heard is that your advance is one year of what the publisher expects your your books to earn. Okay. And I kind of know how much I expect my books to earn in one year on the indie side. Okay. And so I have to compare that side by side and say, not only am I giving up that year's income, but the publisher has it in perpetuity. Right. So I'm giving up that income plus all potential future income, as well as the ability to do things like AMS ads. You can't do it when it's not on your dashboard or bundle books into a box set. Some mm. publishers won't do that. And there's there's a lot of stuff like that that all comes into a factor to kind of tally it all up and be like, is this worth it or not? That That is more than the dollars and cents. Yeah. Well, those are some definitely some good factors to consider. I appreciate you um, giving some advice on that. Because that's something I know a lot of, uh, you know, especially newer authors have questions about. And um, it's nice to hear from someone who's been on both sides of the fence a little bit and can shed some light on that. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into and chat with you a little bit, just because I promised it in the in the intro, was genre-related, was just the idea of uh, steampunk writing. Because I like your world in Alchemist Loom, and I also have written a little bit of steampunk myself, kind of in that um, kind of genre. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit, a little bit about that. What drew you into that um, kind of era? And um, do you plan to write any additional steampunk books? Um, so the honest answer on why I wanted to write it is really lame. I always thought the steampunk costumes were cool. <laughs> Which they are. <laughs> They're incredible. And I would go to conventions and I would see people making steampunk or in steampunk costumes. And I would say, man, I want to wear a steampunk costume one day. And and yeah. finally, after I wrote Air Awakens, I was looking for a new series and developing one in my head. And I was like, all right, if I write it, maybe I'll eventually cosplay steampunk. <laughs> And I did. Spoiler alert! I did eventually do it. Um, So that was that was one of the main motivators for steampunk. And I also thought it was it was a very interesting intersection. So so the the Loom Saga sits right sort of on the line of steampunk and Gaslamp. Mm -hmm. And for anyone unfamiliar, Gaslamp is basically fantasy with steampunk elements so it's more on the magical fantastical side with machines whereas true steampunk is more on the sci-fi science technology less of the the magical supernatural right um and i really thought it would be cool to have this intersection of a world where what happens when magic meets machine and the answer sort of is drawn out in the loom saga well, that's a, that's a lot of fun, and you make a good point that steampunk is a, at a weird intersection because um, it's a it's a historic, almost like a historical fiction intersection. If you have this Venn diagram of where steampunk sits, and it does kind of like get, get, go into fantasy, you can go into sci-fi, but it also has this sort of alternate history element to it. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of a specific thing. What are some, if you're having any advice for someone who's getting into that genre or into steampunk? Do you have any tips for maybe genre conventions that people should definitely try to uh, include versus avoid corsets and goggles no (laughs) Um, i i think i think as you said steampunk is in the center of this monstrous venn diagram of so many things that can overlap and i think the first thing that someone should do when they're looking into um writing steampunk is deciding what elements 
elements of those Venn diagram are you going to play with? Is it going to trend toward the more traditional historical rooted in a, an actual place in time or a mirror of an actual place in time? Um, and, and be more on that side, or is it going to be a, a fantastical playground that you're creating for yourself? So I think that's the first thing to deciding genre conventions is deciding where you're going to sit and then looking at the genre conventions there. I think the other thing that defines the steampunk genre is in a sort of optimism about machinery. Hmm. And I, because I, cause steampunk in the Victorian era was this sort of turn-of-the-century-esque idealization of machines are going to come in and make our, our world grand mm -hmm. yeah. and and everything better and it will be mechanized and wonderful and so well i don't well i do think that there is room to to comment on that in a negative way i think that that sort of love and optimism of machines does need to be present for me at least in a in a steampunk genre no i think that's a, a very valid point i think you're, you've nailed that one um, and it's something I hadn't thought of it in those particular terms, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think there's, there's obviously a sort of mood almost to steampunk, um, which I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting capture. It's almost like this sort of a little bit of a darker tone to it sometimes, but there's, but it does have that, that love of machinery and it is, it is still kind of like lighthearted adventure at its core, which I think is, I think is interesting, um, kind of you know, balance you have to strike there. Gritty, um, but sparkling. <laughs> <laughs> Gritty, but sparkling. I like that. Yeah. Um, how about with your young adult fantasy? Like you, you kind of are on the, the edge of a couple things there too. You've got this epic fantasy side, but then you've also got this, you know, you're writing kind of in a young adult genre. Um, any genre convention tips there for people to be successful uh, where you are? Oh my goodness. There are so many yeah. genre tips and tropes that you can go into for, for YA. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing that I can say is that if you're going to use a trope, either embrace it or be very clear about circumventing it. Hmm. And what I sort of mean by that is, is take, for example, the love triangle. There are dozens of people who cannot stand love triangles, who if you say my book has a love triangle in it and you say it loud and proud, they're going to look at your book and they're going to go, I will never touch that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, your book may offend them for even existing. <laughs> but on the flip side, there are people who, if you say loud and proud, my book has a love triangle, they will flock and say, I cannot get enough of love triangles. Please give me every love triangle you will ever write, because yeah. that is their sort of trope of choice. And I feel like that's that's quite present in YA, where if if you're going to have a trope, embrace it and and make it your own and make it fresh. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to include it for the sake of circumventing it, then then really circumvent it. I think the biggest thing that that I've struggled with and and I've seen other others struggle with is this sort of I want to have a trope but I don't really want to have a trope but I don't want to include it enough to actively circumvent it and cuz that's going to require too much work but I also don't want to get rid of it so it's just going to kind of be there in this sort of lukewarm half-baked yeah. state and yeah. that just doesn't do anything for anyone. No, yeah, I agree. That's um, yeah, lukewarm is never a good <laughs> adjective to have applied to your to your plot yeah. or your characters um, or your readers' feelings about your book. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, well, that, that's that's a valuable insight. Thank you. Um, 
so we've managed to pretty much blaze through our, our half hour. Um, obviously, you know, we could we could talk for a lot more based on on your especially on your amazing world building and um, there's a, there's a lot that you've got going on. But um, in the interest of time, we'll kind of wrap things up. But for um, for people who are interested in you, of course, we've got elisecova.com. Where are the other places that people can come hang out with you? Uh, EliseCova.com has all of the links. I'm on Twitter at EliseCova. I'm also on Instagram at Elise.Cova. I don't know why I added the period. It was stupid, but it's too late now. <laughs> um, I'm on Facebook as well. I think it's Facebook.com forward slash author EliseCova. Again, you can find links everywhere. I'm on Goodreads, though. I, I, I'm not too active on Goodreads just because Goodreads for me is kind of a place that's for readers. Mm-hmm. So I go on, I make my updates, I, I make my announcements and then kind of scuttle away. Um, but I am there. And obviously on Amazon, and, and really I, I'll say this for any author that you read a book and you say, hey, this book or this series was pretty good, go to their Amazon author page. If you are on Amazon looking at their book, their name should be like a hyperlink in blue. If you click on that, it'll take you to their Amazon author page. And underneath their photo on their author page, there should be this big yellow follow button with a plus Mm -hmm. sign. And if you aren't following them, be sure to be sure to hit that follow button and give them a follow. And this is a, a couple things. It helps the author because it's basically like saying to Amazon, this person is worth following. So yeah. you should probably recommend them to more people. So, and that helps the author. But then it also helps you because Amazon then knows that whenever this author releases a book or has a sale or does something you know noteworthy, they're going to send you an automated email and just ping you and let you know, hey, this author that you said you liked just released a new book. Do you want to get it? And and I think that's a fantastic feature because I can't tell you how many times I've said, oh, my goodness, I love this author. And then a year will go by and I'll go, they released three books that I never knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> so so find me out. on Amazon, too. And that's that's a really great way to, to keep up with me. All right. Very cool. Very cool. And um Marilyn comments. She says, "I just looked on Amazon. Yes, the book covers are gorgeous. So another. Oh yay! Thank you. <laughs> and if anyone else has uh, questions or comments for Elise later on, uh, if you're watching the replay or if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to drop comments in the comment section of the video, and we'll do our best to get Elise to, to come back and, and reply. I, I will. I will come back gladly anytime, <laughs> and hopefully with less technical issues. I'm so sorry. I don't oh. know why Skype hates me today. No worries. No worries. No worries at all. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here, um, and thank you everyone for watching and, and listening. And we look forward to seeing you again next episode. So long. <laughs>